All right, let's take our Bibles this evening. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians here for the last uh, several months. Uh, Spent a long time on Ephesians 1, got through 2, and now we're uh, in about the third or fourth uh, of our messages and studies on Ephesians chapter 4. In our uh, last two studies, we saw where Paul described our duty to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That's in verse 1. And in doing so, he uh, first called us to walk together in unity. Now, uh, this is a very uh, practical uh, portion of the book of Ephesians. Uh, We would typically say that the first three chapters are doctrinal. And then the last uh, uh, chapters there, three chapters, are more practical, although they are still full of a lot of doctrine. And uh, so as we walk together in unity, Paul is admonishing us to display the attitudes crucial for maintaining unity. That's in verses 2 and 3. And then we need to understand the basis of unity we have in Christ, in verses 4 through 6. And then we have the... Uh, we need to utilize the gifts given by Christ to his church that serves to keep the body of Christ together and growing. Now, in the last half of chapter 4, as uh, these verses here uh, that we'll be looking at, verses 17 through 32, and we probably uh, could spend a lot more time in these verses than we're going to, but uh, Paul continues to describe the sort of walk that is worthy of our calling especially as a holy temple in the Lord, as he said in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Now, you'll find many times throughout Scripture this idea of walking. The Christian life is a walk. Uh, I know we're sometimes admonished to run the race, uh, but uh, we're also uh, told that we need to walk. And that has with it the idea of walking with someone, and that is walking with the Lord and uh, and keeping our lives in, in, his, uh, in his care and uh, according to his word. Now, we're also, as a body of believers here in this local lo- uh, uh, location, we're to walk together with the Lord and in unity. And this uh, section of uh, chapter 4 will emphasize walking in truth and holiness. Now, Remember, we said that chapter 4 really has four parts, or three parts. Chapter 4, and uh, there is the believer's exhibition. Uh, There was the believer's inhibition. And uh, we said there are some things that we need to be inhibited by. We need to, uh, you know, we don't just live however we want to. Uh, We don't just do what comes naturally. That uh, that is going to be a a problem uh, in a Christian's life. But we have to have some inhibitions as well. But this third part is the uh, believer's prohibition. And I want to us to realize that walking in truth and holiness is not always a positive thing. Uh, There's a lot of uh, uh, about it that's very positive, but there are some times when scripture's very negative, and sometimes people don't like that. Uh, They say, "Why, why are you so negative? Well, Uh, Scripture sometimes is negative. The truth of the matter is that God not only gives us the good news, 
but there are times when he gives us the bad news. And the bad news is not for the purpose of tearing us down or discouraging us, but the bad news or the negative things of Scripture are meant to warn us, to correct us, and to help us do the right thing. So we begin here then in verse 17 with the admonition. The admonition. And we'll see this in verses 17 through verse 24. And the first thing we notice here in the admonition is the Gentile walk. Notice there in verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Doesn't sound very positive, does it? Sounds rather negative. But yet it's the same thing, we're to walk not in this way. You notice there, first of all, they were to, they walked in the vanity or the futility, the emptiness of their mind. How so? Well, this is what we call an empty illusion. So many people walk or live this way today. Uh, they've been taken in by the promoters of immorality, and they are deceived into thinking that just a lifestyle or an alternative lifestyle, if you please, uh, is okay. That would include homosexuality, but it doesn't stop there. There are many more other things that this would include. Young women are told that they can have sex, but they don't need to keep the baby if it doesn't fit their lifestyle. If you don't want the baby, just get an abortion. Uh, life becomes meaningless, and especially when it comes to the life of a little child. And so all, the matters, all that matters in life, and these so-called happiness of the ones uh, who uh, uh, caused the pregnancy, and then we have drinking of alcohol and doing of drugs, that's another illusion, uh, but it's promoted, and people eventually realize, you know, that's not as great as I thought it was. It brought me a whole lot more problems than I had before. Uh, it gave me some satisfaction. It gave me some, uh, some, something for a little bit. But then they become addicted and they have more. Uh, they have to have more at any cost. And they end up uh, sometimes breaking the law, stealing, uh, doing things that they can, so they can have more of their drugs and alcohol. And then they end up getting caught and they get end up put in prison. And that's what our uh, prison ministry people deal with, uh, uh, people who've gotten caught up with this illusion. And once again, the only thing that matters to them is the satisfying of the flesh because it feels good, but it, yet it results in a wasted life. So how does this happen? Well, it starts with the hardening of their heart. Uh, which leads to ignorance that is in them, because such ignorance, they are alienated from the life of God. I read of a man who thought he was really living. Uh, he spent a week's wages for an evening in a nightclub. What for? Well, he wanted to have a good time. Now, you can imagine what you earn in one week, okay? Uh, and 
if you're going to spend that all in one night, uh, that's a lot of money to uh, just throw away because you want to have a good time. That's an expensive way to, to have fun. But he was alienated from the life of God. He had no communication with God. He, he was dead in his trespasses and sins, and such a man is ignorant of the wonderful advantage of having a relationship with God. And so it starts with the hardening of the heart. It leads to the ignorance that is in them. Because of that ignorance, they are alienated from the life of God, and that results in having their understanding darkened. Uh, Jesus describes this uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. It says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive, shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Well, that's certainly a picture of our world today. People's hearts are wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have been closed, uh, because uh, if they saw what they really needed to see, uh, they would see uh, that this kind of life that they're living is not worth it. And so uh, the first thing is, they have their, uh, there's vanity uh, of their mind. Notice, secondly, they, uh, their walk is past feeling. Uh, that's indicated by the fact they have given themselves over to licentiousness. That means unbridled lust or excess. And that is get done to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, to continue in this state of moral ineptitude brings a person down to the level where they have no feelings of wrongdoing. I didn't do anything wrong. I was just having a good time. Nothing wrong with that, right? A lot of people like that today. They're apathetic. Uh, the resultant condition is a plunge further into immorality and lasciviousness, and this vicious cycle then leads to a desire to do even go even deeper into sin. And if you paint the town red one night, then you have to get a bigger bucket and a bigger brush the next night. The meaning here is to, uh, is to covet the very depths of immorality. And so men in sin are never satisfied with sin. It never satisfies. They become uh, abandoned to sin. And this is what mean, it means in Romans chapter 1, when it says that God gave them over to the uncleanness through their own lust. And you reach the place where you're an abandoned sinner, so that's the Gentiles' walk here uh, in the vanity of their mind. And uh, the next thing we notice here is, I'm thankful for the, the righteous walk. Because he gives us the righteous walk here in verses 20 through 24. It says there in verse 20, but. I always enjoy seeing the word but in these passages of Scripture. Now, you'd think everything was, was, was lost in, 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 in dire need, but the scripture always brings us back to Christ. But, 
ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now here's the contrast of the life of the Gentile. And if anyone is not listening to Jesus, then Jesus must not be his Savior. The Lord Jesus is the shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice. If you haven't heard his voice, then you're not one of his sheep. Now, I don't mean you have to hear an audible voice. Jesus doesn't speak to us in that way. But if you don't hear his voice... You must not be one of his sheep. What will change the Gentile from their old nature? What are they to do? They're to listen to Christ. They're to hear him. Uh, They're to be taught by him. Uh, Those who are not his sheep will not hear him. You notice, first of all, that uh, this is how you learn Christ. As you heard him, someone preaching, someone giving you his word by you reading it in Uh, yourself and of course uh, when Paul speaks of this here you heard him and were taught by him uh, through the apostles of course according to Matthew 28 in whom is the truth the truth is in Jesus and although his life on earth cannot be imitated by anyone the very life of Jesus is an example to the believer Jesus is the one who has been the pioneer. He's the example of life here on earth. He's the one who also went through the doorway of death for us. And there's no reason for any believer to be in the dark today, or to be ignorant, or to be blind. And so the first thing is we learn Christ. Secondly, for you were taught to put off the old man. Uh, This is your former conduct how you behaved before you got saved. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his his deeds. You see, putting off the old man is needed because it's never content. The old man is never content. It grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. It's like an addictive drug. You always need more. We're to put off the old man, put on the new man in the same manner that we change our clothes. We're putting off the old man and the unclean garment, and we're putting on a new garment that's new and clean. And what happens then? We become renewed in the spirit of of your mind. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. The key uh, is true transformation. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable. Which is your reasonable service. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may uh, be able to have that new way of thinking. As you set your mind on things above, Colossians 3. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do it through Reformation. You can't do it through a 12-step program. You can't do it through, uh, you know, doing good deeds. It only comes through Jesus Christ and his word. And so then we are renewed in the spirit of mind and of our, your mind, and then you put on the new man. Put on the new man, a new man which was created according to God. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, a new man in righteousness and true holiness. Again, I believe, uh, and I'm quoting uh, Colossians often here because Colossians is a good commentary on Ephesians. And, of course, the best commentary of the Bible is the Bible. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, in giving admonition, he's saying here, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Don't walk, don't walk like the unsaved world. And Paul has put, uh, made it very clear that this involves a putting off and a putting on. You see, walking in truth and holiness is not just a bunch of thou shalt nots. There are also some thou shalts. And so there is that negative aspect, but there is also the positive. Now, to illustrate the difference between the old man, how the rest of the Gentiles walk, and the new man, how Christians are to walk, we find Paul making the application. This is found in verses 25 through 32. And the first thing he talks about here is lying. I appreciated uh, Mrs. Grohl's testimony this morning. You know, she lied. She said, yeah, I'm saved. And people can go around and they can say those kind of things because they don't want a, someone to find them out. You know, the old man doesn't think anything of lying. You'll meet people like this all the time. The new man puts away lying and in the place speaks truth with his neighbor, especially those of the members of the same body of Christ. We are to speak truth with one another here in our church. The application, of course, in the context of the unity of the local church is that we cannot have unity if we're not honest with one another. 
And then there's anger. In verse 25, he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your, uh, on your, upon your wrath. The old man gets angry. And he lets it linger. Uh, he lets it get out of control. Now, a new man may get angry, but he does not let it linger. That means do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, uh, don't be upset and angry and let it get the best of you. Take care of it. And allow it to prompt, uh, or uh, uh, allow it not to prompt a sinful behavior. That's where it goes on to say uh, in verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Because if we let the anger fester and continue on, we're giving place to the devil. And the believer is commanded to be angered with certain conditions or with certain people. Yes, there seems to be the idea, though, today, that a Christian is one who is sweet under all circumstances and conditions. I want you to listen very carefully here. No believer can be neutral in the battle for truth. We are to hate the lying and the gossiping tongue. And yet, we should not hate the person with an innate hatred or malice, as Peter calls it. Malice is something that we should not be, that should not be in the life of a believer. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, as 1 Peter um, 2 and verse 1 says. Someone has described malice as congealed anger. When the wrong is corrected, there should not be animosity. Forgive and forget. Now that's pretty hard for us to do, isn't it? We, we cannot, you know, God can do that. Somehow we kind of, we record it on our hard drives and it's, it's there and we can't seem to forget it. But we need to, to do all we can to forgive and forget. Harboring hatred, sinful feelings can give the devil the advantage in our lives. Many people have certain hang-ups. They may even hate certain people, and they can't get over it. They can't forgive. Uh, someone might say, well, I could never forgive that person for what they did to me. We should forgive, and we should forget if the person is uh, willing to give up his lying. In Jude... Uh, it says uh, in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to, unto you and exhort you that ye should live, uh, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now on the one hand, we are to contend. We are to fight for the faith. On the other hand, uh, we're not to do it with a bad spirit. It's not okay to have a bad spirit. Yes, we're to contend for the faith, and that does not mean that we're soft toward false teachers or disobedient Christians. Jude certainly wasn't. You know what he said? He said, they're brute beast. You know, calling somebody a brute beast, that's pretty serious. That's pretty uh, uh, hard. He also said they were ungodly men. 
Uh, they, uh, he said they were lascivious men. He compares them to fornicators. Uh, he said they were filthy dreamers. Uh, they speak evil of authority. He says they despise authority. Uh, he says they are spots in their fleece, and they are clouds without water. They are trees whose fruit withered. He says they are raging waves and wandering stars and ungodly. They're murmurers and complainers. He said they are void of the Spirit. Now, that's not just what Jude said. That's what God said through Jude. And so that's what God says about those who are against our faith. But that doesn't mean we need to have a bad spirit about it. You know, there's a difference between anger in defending the faith and anger that's filled with pride. The Lord showed anger. Uh, He went to the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. And what angered Jesus was that the Pharisees had planted that man there just to see what he would do. Mark 3 and verse 5 says, And when he had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand and he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other you see our lord was angry at the pharisees for doing such a thing but he did not have a bad spirit we're also told that god is angry all the day long with the wicked but the minute they give up their wickedness and they turn to him he will save them don't we have a wonderful god That should be the attitude of us as believers. How many times have we been so angry that we can't forgive the one who's offended us when they try to make it right? We go to people and and we we apologize. We we say we were wrong, we were sorry, but they they just won't give it. He said, no, I can't forgive you. Anger like bitterness can destroy us. It can destroy our home. It can destroy our church. There's another area that he talks about here, and that's stealing. And in verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. The old man is willing to steal. Man, by his sinful nature, is a thief as well as a liar. We might say, oh, I would never rob a bank. I would never hold up a convenience store or another person or take money or valuables from them. But you know, there are other ways of stealing, isn't there? We rob God when we don't give him our tithes and our offerings. We rob our employers when we waste time on the job. We rob others of blessings when we don't take the opportunity to witness and encourage people. That's the old man who's willing to steal. But the new man not only stops stealing, but he works so that he can help others that are in need. Stealing. And then there's corrupt communication. The old man doesn't worry or care about what comes out of his mouth. Corrupt communication means filthy speech, that which is rotten or putrid. One day we were helping our youngest daughter move into an apartment. This was when she was first getting out on her own. Uh, she had gotten her first job as a police officer for the India, uh, 
the Elkhart County Sheriff's Department and she found an apartment. So we went to help her. And her mom continually said, this is disgusting. This is disgusting. We heard that once. We heard it a dozen times. That's disgusting. You know what else is disgusting? An uncontrolled mouth. The uncontrolled mouth of a person is an indication of a corrupt life. Someone has said, what is in the well of the heart will come out through the bucket of the mouth. The speech of the believer should not be or should be on a high plane of instructing and communicating encouragement to other believers. You can have fun and you can enjoy life. You can have uh, humor because it has its place, but our humor should not be dirty. It should not be filthy. That's the old man. They don't worry about what comes out of their mouth. The new man, though, not only avoids corrupt communication, but he seeks to speak that which is uplifting to those who would hear. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now those are four ways to apply what he's talking about here. And the fifth one is a kind of a summary. It's kind of a summary. Why be concerned about putting off the old man and putting on the new? Well, when Christians act like the old man, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. When Christians act like the old man, it grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person who can be grieved. What is it that grieves him? It's the offenses that we've just listed. When a Christian lies, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When a Christian has a bad spirit and is wrongfully angry, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When a Christian takes that which does not belong to him, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When a Christian has dirty thoughts and those thoughts come out in words, it grieves the Holy Spirit. What happens when a person is grieved? Well, it breaks fellowship. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, our fellowship with God is broken. The Holy Spirit cannot work in your life when you've grieved him. When fellowship with him has been broken. And by the Holy Spirit, we are sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, you have to go back to uh, uh, verse chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. But this tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but we cannot grieve him away. We're sealed in him. That's a wonderful verse for our eternal security. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit at the moment of regeneration. And then notice... It is unto the day of redemption. He seals us until the day when you will be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. And a believer cannot unseal his work, which is continues to the day of redemption, but a believer can grieve him. And what is the difference between Christians today? The real difference is that some Christians live with a grieved Holy Spirit and some lived with an ungrieved Holy Spirit. That's the difference. Now notice the last two verses have a sharp contrast one to another. It says in verse 31, 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You can see here how this is a kind of a summary of what he's already been talking about. And then verse 32, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We, these are the things we ought to be putting away. The things that are befitting the old man. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. And this, again, is the additional, uh, an additional list of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. These are the sins of the emotional nature. Bitterness. Bitterness is uh, something that real will be devastating in our lives. It will cause multiple problems. It's an ir- irritable state of mind which produces harsh and hard opinions of others. great many people today, I believe, are living in bitterness... And when they do, it hurts. It hurts them. It hurts those uh, that they're bitter against. And it may be someone in your own family. It may be a, a brother or a sister or an uncle or an aunt or someone that uh, you just can't get over that. And it's hurting your relationship. It's not only hurting your relationship with them, but it's hurting your relationship with God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about wrath and anger again. These are outbursts of passion. Someone has made this distinction between them. They've said, wrath speaks of the acute passion. That is severe and sharp, severe but of short duration. Another is a chronic passion. It's long-lasting and it's perpetual. Clamor means a bold assertion of the supposed rights and grievances. Well, I got my rights. Sometimes people become bitter and clamorous over a supposed slight. They think someone has offended them. It's the kind of attitude that grieves the Holy Spirit. Evil speaking is blasphemy. It also means all kinds of slander and malice, congealed and uh, congealed hatred. And he says, these things need to be put away from you. All the sins are to be put away and literally taken away. It's a decision to put these sins away. Someone says, I just can't forgive them. You know, that's because it's not that you cannot, it's that you will not. It's a matter of the will. It's a choice. So you notice then the contrast in verse 32. In its place, we need to put on things that are befitting the new man. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Being kind to one another, that's Christian courtesy. Tender-hearted is a more intense word than kind. Uh, it's full of deep and mellow affection. Forgiving one another, it means to give and take in relationship to the faults of one another. We are to forgive rather than magnify the faults. And again, someone might say, well, I just can't forgive them. What about your sin? Did Christ not uh, forgive you? That's what the Bible says. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. All of this is done on a twofold basis. First, this conduct will not grieve the Holy Spirit. And second, the basis of forgiveness is not legal, but it's gracious. 
is not a command under the law, but it is a basis of grace that God exhibited in our forgiveness because Christ died for us. We're to forgive because we are forgiven. It's not that we forgive to receive forgiveness. And so what a contrast there is, and there would be, if all of us in our church would truly carry on this admonition to walk in truth and holiness. Members of this local church should stand out like a city set on the hill, as it says in Matthew chapter 5. And the world, though it now has their understanding darkened, might be more likely to come and see the truth that is in Jesus. But what hope is there if a local church is more like the world than a holy temple? I wonder this evening, are we grieving the Holy Spirit of God? There's an increasing worldliness in our society. I don't know how more worldly their society can can be, I guess. Uh, I don't know how more sinful our society can, can become. And it's a concern for us, of course. But we need to be careful not to react with attitudes that are more in keeping with the old man. But having been sealed for the day of redemption, let's be sure to react in righteousness and true holiness. May God help us to walk in truth and holiness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we're so thankful for the word of God. And we ought to be thankful. You've told us we need to be thankful uh, in life. And we need to be thankful as Christians for what you've given to us, what you've done for us. But our thanks needs to be demonstrated then in the life that we live. And I pray, Lord, that each one here tonight... Examine their hearts before you. Are we really walking in truth and holiness? Walking in your word and walking in and living such lives that are holy. Are we putting off the old man and putting on the new? Lord, we pray God the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and lives to help us to have the unity that Paul encourages us to have. And Lord, as we think on these things, as we meditate upon them in the days to come, we pray, Lord, that it'll make a difference in our lives. And I trust, Lord, that uh, there are needs here tonight that uh, those needs will be taken care of before, perhaps even before they leave this building. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your word. Impress upon our hearts our needs to live for you and to walk with you and walk worthy of the vocation in which we're called. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.